Coming to you from our opulent and luxurious 4x8 refurbished broom closet at the National Headquarters in Indianapolis. With duct tape, studio lights, and a mic that you barely can hear, we hope to entertain and educate you. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. Happy 2021. Congratulations on making it through 2020. I am your host, Mark Stevie, the uh, Special Projects Counsel for the American Legion here at our national headquarters in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Ashley Gorbolja-Moldonado from our nation's capital, and Jeff Daly of the Michigan Dailies out there in Hollywood, California. And, of course, we have super producer Holly uh, in the background, who I finally turned on to Mongolian death metal music. Probably a, a big moment for me today. Bravo. Jeff, what's going on? I am. I'm over here. I'm just chilling. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to prepare this, this really long, convoluted story so that it, it makes sense for us today. I, but, I uh, and Ashley's over there freaking me out with her zooming in and out. I want, to, I want to get a good close-up, you know. It's very important. Yeah, as we long as we got the dogs. As long <laughs> as we got the dogs in the background, we're good to go. <laughs> All right. Well, we will uh, we will rip right through, right into this anyway. All right, we'll start with Jeff, and then we'll come back to Ashley. We're going to start with a long and convoluted one that I'm going to try to paraphrase, and I will get many things wrong because this is a very twisted, intertwined story. It's about a sailor. His name is Michael Gregg. I'm not outing him. His name was in the story. They punish this sailor, who was suicidal, by the way, for seeking mental health treatment. Now, on his ship, he, as he told his mother soon after, he was, I believe he's at the Bowery, he was somewhere on the ship, and he was this close to walking off of the ship and uh, into the deep blue sea, which is nev- which never ends well. So we will we will officially call that suicidal. Now he sought he sought treatment and was rejected. They they determined there was nothing really wrong with him, and he was rejected not a second time but a third time. And eventually he was just like I'm not going to work. They couldn't even get him out of the rack, and. Uh, so eventually they told him you're going to be a deserter if you don't get out of the wreck and show up for your NJP or in the Navy they call it captain's mass and if your military experience is only movies uh, he was AWOL and they were sending him before the man so he went to get his NJP and they uh, did everything possible they took a rank away they took two weeks' money away. They restricted him to 60 days on the very ship that was the trigger for his panic attacks and his, uh, his suicide attempt. So his story, his mother got involved, uh, as mothers do, and it got, uh, got congressmen involved, got uh, third-party outside advocacy groups involved, and they eventually they uh, appealed and got his rank back, and he didn't do the 60-day restriction on, on the ship, and they finally, finally saw a way to let him out of the Navy. In fact, I believe it's the basis of this appeal is that the punishment of 60 days restriction is disproportionate because this sailor was struggling with debilitating mental health issues at the time of the offense. 
To keep him in the U.S. Navy longer is simply inappropriate, if not wholly problematic, for his continued safety. Now, if this was just an isolated story, we I mean, we'd still talk about it because it's absolutely nuts. But it's also that there is a problem in the Navy. In 2020, a total of 62 active duty sailors and 12 reserve duty sailors have died by suicide. And that's according to U.S. Navy statistics. The Navy recorded 73 active members died by suicide in 2019, the highest number their tracking data shows from 2006. And uh, in perfect military sense of the obvious, uh, we have Captain Tara Smith, uh, presumably a spokesperson, saying, I would be lying to you if I said we had every location covered with mental resources. We do not. She goes on to say, we certainly need more mental health resources in the military, and we're addressing that. I am hoping that they are addressing that outside of Captain's Mass taking people's rank pay and, uh, and, and trying to force therapy through confronting that which makes you want to end it all. So that's, uh, that is my synthesis of the story. You can read the whole thing. It's, it's long, and it's on, uh, it's on Seattle Weekly. Uh, by Olivia Sutton is our journalist. So, Mark, did do you think I synthesized that enough? Yeah, it, it's such a crazy story that that's that was why I had a problem. Like the kid discovered basically that he was terrified to go on the boat, and so he doesn't go on the boat. He goes to get mental health, which is what we're supposed to do, and then they try to punish him by making him spend extra time on the boat, like that. It was like it was clear to everyone involved, I would think, like, okay, if the kid is going to kill himself if he goes on a boat, we need to separate him administratively and we need to do it right. post haste or come up with another job. Punishing him to go do the thing that terrifies him in the first place, I don't know what kind of shock therapy they thought was going to work. It, it, this crazy the story was crazy. Frank. The story is crazy. There's just a layer of neglect there, like very dismissive, you know. And I think that comes from this, like, oh, we have to, like, I don't know, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, yeah, reflecting on my own experiences and like basic training. Like, obviously, like there's a, you know, we're gonna break you down to build you back up mentality. But I think at some point, like, there should have been some pretty obvious flags in which Jeff read perfectly. So, <laughs> and that just alarms me as, as a professional. And I'm sure there were others there that were a hundred percent qualified to be like, Hey, like something's not right. We shouldn't do this. And I feel like a lot of people just fell into group think with this. Oh, he's just, he's a coward. He's this, or he's just scared. He'll get over it. Like, um, but there's, I, uh, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of stuff that's going on here that's just bizarre to I me. I can't bust well, the, on him about okay. being afraid of boats. I've never been on a big boat. so I, I mean, it's easy for me to say, ah, you big pansy, get on the damn boat. I, maybe it is terrifying. I don't know. And where are you going to find out if you're terrified of boats without joining the Navy and then getting on a boat? It's not like, you know, this kid, like, yeah, maybe I'll dip my toe into the Navy water by doing what? <laughs> Taking well, a ferry? I think that's interesting. I will tell you. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that's interesting because my father-in-law was in the Navy for 23 years. And, uh, you know, he's been around, he's been around the world. He, and he says that like, he hated the ocean. 
Like, he learned that he hated the ocean. Like, it was, like, this suspended heights, right? Like, no, like folks are like, oh, I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of, like, where I'm at. And if I'm on a skyscraper, I'm looking down. Like, I think there's that building in Chicago, right? I can't remember what it's called. But, like, you can literally look over and it's just all glass. Like, that's terrifying to people. But, like, the water is a suspended height. And then you have this huge vessel. And my father-in-law always describes, he goes, honestly, like, I was a terrible swimmer. And I joined the Navy. I was in for 23 years. <laughs> I hated boats. And, like, that was just something, like, even now to this day, he's like, he's like, yeah, I, he's like, if anything ever happened, he's like, I probably would have drowned because I'm a terrible swimmer. But I don't like boats. Like, it's crazy. Like, you could still serve and hate boats. And I think it's, a, like, a different level. And I'm just giving this example because this is relevant. I've, I've heard this conversation a lot. Um, well, I will say, it's bizarre, I have a couple too, quick things. But- I- uh, that's uh, I've been on a ship, and I was I would tell you you do get a couple freak out moments when you are in the literal middle of nowhere. And mm-hmm. in fact, when they spread they spread the fleet out for certain things, you can't see another ship. You can't like there is nothing. One time uh, we even had a Russian sub surface just to let us know that it knew where we were, and I was I happened to be out. Uh, I happened to be outside at that time, and I was like, oh, my God. If something happened to us, like even if it was a slow sink, nobody, nobody could get to us in time. So, I mean, I get the freak-out moment. Now, uh, as something, as Ashley was alluding to, I, I believe our leadership uh, has a, a, a stewardship. There's a stewardship facet to leadership. It's not all just about telling people what to do or forcing them to do the right thing. You right. have to take care of people. Now, the and the and the infrastructure is in place. The Dwight D. Eisenhower has two fleet and family support center deployed resiliency co- counselors. Now, if if your credibility is by a lot of syllables in your title, these people know what they're doing because that was a lot that I just said. There's a psychologist, there's psychologist technicians, and 65 trained resiliency mentors embarked to support crew health. With all of those people with really fancy titles, this one. was this was this was a huge failure in my estimation. I agree. All right. Well, let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what to add. It's, it's, it's disappointing. Banana, like, it's yeah. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Where was the, where were the NCOs or whatever? The I guess the petty officers on this one. It's like, look, the kid ain't, ain't going back on the boat. How about we not get him for <laughs> desertion? Start doing the paperwork. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back in a minute. Delete. Delete. So you were discharged with a 20% disability rating, but now you can't hear so well and need help. Contact an American Legion service officer. Service officers are free of charge and they help all veterans. Find one near you with our online tool at legion.org forward slash service officers. Welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast and Ashley is ready, set, and able here. So ready. let's do it. <laughs> Back in the saddle. My my apologies, boys. So that's what happens when you're trying to work ahead and you're like on the fifth episode and you're trying to work <laughs> on the second. <laughs> all of the above. So I wanted to tell you all a little bit about a really cool story that the American Legion um, had just published here at the end of December, end of 2020. And it is very unique in the sense that we've talked a little bit in past about Boys Nation, uh, Girls Nation, 
And a lot of the alumni do some pretty incredible things from like presidents to political folks, all, all of the above. And uh, among to take the ranks of someone incredibly important whose military career and is a American, uh, excuse me, American Legion Boys National Alumni, Air Force Colonel Raja Shar, Shara, Shari. I, I do apologize. I'm not sure if I'm, I don't know if yeah. I said that correctly, um, has a chance to pretty much go above and beyond. So by that, we literally mean this individual who is out of Ohio, or not Ohio, <laughs> Ohio on the mind, Iowa Boys State earlier um, is going to be among the first 18 astronauts selected for NASA's um, Armedius team. Did I say that right? Ar- Armedius? No. Ar- no. Artemis. Artemis? Man, Ar- I'm like two for two. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> um, so basically, for those of you who aren't aware, so the goal of that mission is to land the next like man on the moon, but also the first woman on the moon in 2024 and establish a lunar base by the end of the decade. So how cool is that, right? So I know Jeff loves to talk about Space Force, right? But this is like a whole nother level of service members going above and beyond to infinity. See what I did there? See, I'm making up mm-hmm. for it with my jokes. See, this is good. So Je- Jeff, I got, a, I got a question for you, though. What happens if uh, if Colonel Raja Sherry here goes to the moon and decides he doesn't like space? Do they make him spacewalk? Do they lash for him? S- like <laughs> they make him spacewalk for sixty days and take away one of his ranks? I don't. Know. He's not in the military. Make but, him do overhead uh, arm claps. I mean, he's not in the military. He's in the Air Force. Oh, well, he's in NASA now. But I guess they they stay in. The, and like you just said, I'm not going to repeat that. Uh, <laughs> Air Force. I, I've been quoted as calling. Uh, Military adjacent, but I won't say that here because I'll get hate mail. So I, I think this is great. I love the the boys state people. They're everywhere. I mean, they go from politics to being the greatest basketball player that ever lived to being guests on this show, yeah. which is a great, huge accomplishment. Right. And I, 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 I love this actually, and I wonder what his. It's got 18 people. I wonder if uh, he's going to get confused and run for leadership like, and start politicking the people. Interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I do love his quote in here because he, he talks about how, you know, when he was a kid, he wanted to be an astronaut. And he said um, he noted that just because they're on the initial list doesn't mean they'll be on the missions. It just means that they're ones getting their hands dirty as they develop the hardware. And he, he said, as I got older, I started to think that's silly. I'm never going to be an astronaut. And then the pendulum kind of swung back. I really think about the time I was in test school when it dawned on me that I actually looked at people who were going to be astronauts in the past and looked at my career. They're actually kind of similar. I never really wanted to be an astronaut, but I mean, that's the top of the top, right? Right. I mean, it, if you have a dream, your chances of of being an NFL quarterback are significantly higher than ever being an astronaut. <laughs> mm-hmm. Significantly it, higher. Yeah. I mean, for the rest of us, you know, they always say the sky's the limit, but yeah. not for astronauts. I mean, they're just, they're a whole other level, and that's uh, the skill set, the mindset, and just the... I mean, I hate using words like bravery and and things like that, but it's that's what that is. 
going to space yeah. is no joke. It's an incredibly taxing and technical job. Like you have to, it, I mean, the training involved and the precision as you are in flight, like there is obviously a certain point, like once you break atmosphere, like it's you, it's me, myself and I, right? It's like, who, who's going to help me? Only me, myself and I, like you have to have let that training kick in. And it doesn't really shock me that you see a lot of veterans that are kind of within this Artemis team because they have proven themselves time and time again. And uh, in the article itself, there's a whole lineup of the integrity of the list and there's just few short sentence bios. But you know, looking at these just short sentence bios, you're like, how much work and effort and years and time, right, go into this. Um, but it's really impressive, too, because I think it's really a testament, again, to one of our, our you know, our Legion programs, uh, you know, Boys Nation yeah. and or just in general, um, Boy State, because so many folks take the leadership that they've gained and they implement it later on throughout their lives. And, you know, with this gentleman particularly, you know, he's a graduate of the Air Force Academy. And, uh, you know, there, again, like, there are just certain steps to how you get to success, and success is subjective, right? So success looks different to different people, but you're right. There is something to be said about becoming an astronaut. It's like you're like forever a star, you know. No pun uh, intended. I see, what, <laughs> I see what you did there. I I would puke if I went up on a tilt a whirl right now. So I'll, I'm a hard pass on the whole astronaut thing. But best of luck to you, Colonel. I wish you well. All right, and uh, the re- and the rest of them, and the rest yes. of them, right? I don't want to. And to the first them. woman who is on the moon. Hopefully, it's not like the episode of Space Force where she gets on the moon. I don't know if y'all saw that episode. Fabulous if you haven't watched it, but she was the first woman on the moon. I don't remember that one. You don't remember that? Uh, I, I'm, no. I'm such a bad TV watcher. I forget things immediately, and then I can rewatch them. Which is why I watch the same episode of Supernatural about twice a week. All I would say is start preparing your air quotes, people. Topic three. uh, Is the military paying troops too much? Yes and no study finds in military times. All right, before I go into this one and you guys start with the hate mail, try to distance yourself from the emotion of this story and think about it from a logical standpoint. You could say that cashiers at McDonald's are underpaid, but you don't want to start paying cashiers $100 because then burgers become too expensive and writ large at the military. So listen to what the story says before you start dunking on it. But the military has been paying service members much more than the minimum benchmark it set decades ago, according to a Pentagon-funded study. So it should probably raise the benchmark. For roughly the past 20 years, the Department of Defense has set a, its uniform pay grades at about the 70th percentile, meaning 70% of civilian jobs that require similar levels of experience and education pay less than the military, and 30% pay more. But as part of a regular review of the compensation system, RAND Corporation, experts suggest updating the policy. I, I, I think right off the bat we're kind of into ridiculous territory because I don't know any other jobs that require you to work 24-7, 365. So I don't really know how you compare these things. Like, what are you comparing infantrymen to in the civilian sector? Like a sunglasses hut security guard? Because it's not even close. I, I, I don't know. But from the report, mm-hmm. what I found interesting, they said they, 
The report finds that current pay, military pay may be too high since recruit quality today it's, exceeds DOD's stated requirements. And further, quality and retention both exceed the levels observed during the late 80s and mid-90s when the 70th percentile was established. However, the 70th percentile may be too low a benchmark because there are reasons to believe that the recruiting environment is much more difficult than it was in earlier periods. Figures of around the 75th to 80th percentile for enlisted personnel and of around the 75th percentile for officers are likely to meet existing recruit quality objectives. From an emotional standpoint, I think you got to pay them whatever you got to pay them. But if you're looking at it from a human resources, the pay and the retention and stuff should just be to meet the retention goals. Am I wrong on that, Jeff? Or what do you what do you think on this one? Uh, the economist in me wants to say, you know, you pay market value, and if uh, if you start seeing things dip, then you know you raise you raise the price to meet right. to increase the demand, right? Yep. But on the other hand, when they talk about comparing it, I don't know where they get these percentiles, like you said, because there are no other jobs that compare. So to me, the data is a little fuzzy to begin with. Yep. Nowhere else do you get. Um, nowhere else do you get uh, put your life on the line as basically the definition of your job, uh, and it's and like you said, it's twenty four seven. How many other jobs uh, are under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and not just not just the regular legal system? How many jobs can they make you move somewhere you don't want to move? How many, like, there are so many aspects to this that are, uh, that, that deserve compensation, uh, you know, that are variables in with, in with what, with which they should use to determine, um, compensation beyond this. I don't know. This percentile thing is, is freaking me out because I don't know what that means. Yeah. I, I, that's what my question was too. I'm like, can someone, Please elaborate on like the seventy percent benchmark. I'm like, uh, my hubby's a recruiter. Like, I understand the recruitment mission. I understand the variables in which, you know, the the recruiting games changed. It depends on where you're at, what state, what benefits you have, um, like what you're working with, resource and tool wise, and whatever DoD pushes down as a number. But if you know, we fluctuate from a high to low strength number across the board for all branches. Um, you know, how does that change the incentives that are given or put out to the public to say, hey, come join the military for X dollar bonus on top of, you know, signing a six year contract and or active duty and you get your GI Bill, right? So like there's compensation and benefits additionally. So you get like a benefits package. Then, right, you've brought up we move, we do X, Y, and Z, but it's like, this is a very different type of job. It's, and then, I don't know, like the, the, the inner me who's worked on the career side of this, helping veterans transition, it is incredibly difficult to really compare and contrast, you know, the, the, your standard, just, you know, very generalized infantry to a resume. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a bit on a bit off track, but I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm confused by these these arbitrary um, percentiles. Yeah, the, the percentiles threw me off. I even tried to look into it, and I, I got flummoxed. I mean, if you take a, a CPA in the Marine Corps versus a CPA in civilian life, and you're like, oh, well, the CPA in the military gets 
more than 70% of the CPA. What? How, how many CPAs in civilian life are required to shave every day and wear the same dopey uniforms and be a rifleman if called upon? It's just like, I don't, I don't understand what we're comparing. It's like comparing a kangaroo to a walnut. Like, there's just not a comparison here. I don't know what we're doing. It's fascinating. Your brain does <laughs> magnificent things. Yes. Yeah, kangaroo to a walnut. Can, uh, Super producer Holly, can we please make t-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> That's your- All right. Well, with that, while you ponder kangaroos and walnuts, we will take our second commercial break, and we'll be back in 30 seconds, I think, something like that. Either way, diddly, diddly. Did you know the American Legion magazine is the most frequently read periodical in the nation? True story. Find out why by joining today at legion.org forward slash join. And we are back with our rapid fire, which is going to be rapider than most firing. All right, here we go. I, I swear I'm going to keep this one under wraps, but according to Task and Purpose, AR670-1 Army leaders to announce hair regulation changes in 2021. Senior Army leaders are discussing making long-awaited changes to hair and grooming regulations, and they plan to finalize the changes in January 2021. The changes being discussed among Army leadership, including include allowing some women to wear ponytails in uniform and removing wording from the existing regulations found to be offensive or racist in an effort to reflect the Army values. I had to read the whole thing to figure out what in the AR670-1 was racist or offensive, and I got it later in the article. Apparently, according to this article, dreadlocks will be changed to locks, the slides go on to explain, because the term dreadlocks has ties to the American slavery experience. I had to look that one up. I found literally nothing to support that statement. But if Big Army tells me it is, I, I, I seldom wear dreadlocks myself, as one might note. And what little I know about them is Lisa Bonet wore them in Enemy of the State. and I thought it looked good. Uh, I think Bob Marley has them. I don't know anything about dreadlocks. I don't know why it's racist. But they are also changing the words eccentric and faddish, saying that they seem to target a specific demographic. All right, Jeff. Uh, eccentric and faddish. What demographic are they talking about? I have zero idea. I, I don't have. Uh, I, I I have no idea. But I, I. It's interesting that the the word parts are what are the takeaway, and that we're we're so concerned with with labeling things. I don't know anything about the the dreadlock thing, but if it's related to. Uh, slave history there are a lot of people who have slaves in their family history that use that term so i and and take zero offense to it and probably will continue to take zero offense to it just even though someone in the army says that it's okay but it it's the because didn't this also relax some of the the hair standards yeah, and I actually did the ponytail. Well, I know you you're okay with it. You're okay with it, but I, 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 would, I, I wouldn't say I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it if there's a medical, actual, physical reason. Like they were saying that some women suffer from like hair loss if they have to do certain. There was one poor lady in this article who apparently had to use like this real astringent thing to get her hair to flatten down to meet requirements. That's bananas to me. Like I, I, that one, I'm fine with. It's all this other nonsense that I don't like. How are ponytails better for you than? 
I, I don't understand. I don't know. I'm, I'm can, I, can I can I comment? Can I yes. please comment? Because I'm yes. the I'm the woman here. <laughs> Unless I checked. And what you are? What? See, we're so blind <sighs> to it, we don't even recognize it. Thanks, guys. So, so as a prior female NCO, a woman who works with prior, you prior female. I'm sorry, a prior <laughs> NCO. I'm currently and identify as a woman. Okay. No joke. Anyway, she and her are my pronouns. So, here's what I'm going to just elaborate really quickly. So, the reference that you're making regarding um, the individual that was quoted here. So, some of these regulations are going to help women, black women specifically, right. who have been pressured to use these relaxers. So, these really heavy chemical products. So the thing is, uh, back when I was working at uh, the Office of Multicultural Development out at the university, um, I sat through a really great presentation about um, the black women's hair experience. And I thought it was so fascinating because there are just so many different things from a cultural standpoint that I didn't understand because, you know what I mean, from everyone has different hair. And black hair is literally different than, than, than other people's hair. It's you know, it can be wavy, straight, curly. There's varying degrees of tight curl strands. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And, you know, whether they're, whether you have it permed, weave, you have extensions, natural hair, and that natural hair is altered by the chemicals and it literally just alters the texture of hair. And the story that I can provide to the listeners is while I was in basic training, um, you know, I, I served with some amazing black women and I remember walking into the bay one day, and this was like early on in basic training, and they were taking out like um, braids and these different things, and it literally left my my friend with like literally like nothing on the top of her head because like mo- she just as she would refer to me, she's like, I don't have great hair. And these are the things that I do to like look socially acceptable. And when they asked her, you know, obviously to take it out to meet requirement, it made her so, so self-conscious. And yes, now she could fit her PC. And obviously like if, even with her PC on when she had like her braids and the way that it was, um, I don't know if it's a correct term, but the way that they had braided it, like, it was fine and it would have stayed back in a ponytail, but they, and I think that came too back on the recruiter, like, the recruiter should have been like, hey, maybe you need to modify your braids or, um, you know, what is acceptable, like, I think there's some some loss on that part, but, like, when she got there, her and another, you know, uh, young lady, black young lady were, like, literally there, like, just helping take out the braids of their hair. And honestly, like, she described to me as it was very, like, demoralizing. She was like, man, this is, like, my hair. Like, it's part, like, and, like, later on, like, as I progressed in my career, I was always very much so an advocate for this because, you know, especially in in the guard setting, for example, you've got women who come in, they're they're doing their duty, um, you know, I've, I've been to a black barber shop. I have bared witness to how long it takes to go through. Like sometimes women sit in the chair for hours to get their hair braided or um, weave or whatever it may be. And, you know, hair is a part of that experience. And unfortunately, like the current 670-1 standards are a very European standard of professionalism and beauty. And like I understand because 
I have heard the firsthand testaments of or testimonies of women who are like, I have to put so much relaxers in my hair. I have pulled my hair back so much that it fell out. Like I know that um, I had actually got like kind of these like like from pulling my hair up and then tying it back so much. I actually had lost hair right around my ears. And I had lost hair above, like, my um, neckline, even though it was really, really short. Like, I lost that hair while I was in training. And I had a short haircut. And because there was no parts allowed, everything was pulled back. So it was just pulling on my scalp. And this happens so very a, frequently. I have a question, I have a question okay. Ashley. Got it. So you're – during rapid fire, I just want to uh, figure out if yeah, you I know. are this uh, for rapid or fire. against – if you're for or against this. I'm for it. I, I, I okay. do think – I'm for it, okay? I'm just trying to give some background because I don't want this to be like, from a diversity inclusion standpoint. It was a mini-series. But I'm serious, though. Like, we have to think, like, just because we don't have that experience doesn't mean that that experience doesn't exist. I'm done. Thank you. (laughs) Jeff? (laughs) I'm not going to take more time. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it is what it is. It's the Army's way of figuring this out and in two short sentences i will say uh here's what i could i can dissect all of this people have different different biological makeups and they are attempting to fit that all in and help everybody uh meet regulation that's that's all i'll say about that there you go all right it's rapid fire two <laughs> and can we please rapid fire Uh, Studies suggest legislation to tamp down on obesity improve military recruiting. I'm literally just going to read this one thing because it says, The Defense Department spends over $1 billion a year on treatment of obesity-related issues, including lost productivity, according to a report by Congressional Research. It could be a topic for legislative consideration, according to the report. Jeff, what do you think of this? I... I don't know. I feel like the entire military is is trying to lean more towards the core. And I don't mean Marine Corps, I mean Peace Corps. They want to get rid of or lower lessen standards based on market. So here's the let's just take all the information we've had from today. Well, let's lower the pay as much as we can and then uh, so we can get more people wanting to join and then lower the standards so we can get more people in. I don't know how we win wars. I, I, Ashley? So my comment is, I'll try to be brief, there is a large body positivity movement happening. We can recognize that. That's real time. That's happening. Now, as far as body compensation goes... I have seen a few things out there presently that they want to review how women are being taped. I literally did an entire project while I was exiting my like bachelor's degree as part of a capstone for exercise science, specifically looking at the different body composition methods and how they favor men. And typically for women, they don't account for different body sizes and types. So I think there's an opportunity from a science perspective to look at how do we how do we make it so that like, you know, 32% of women, and that could be off now because this was a few years ago, how do we make sure that like women who have had children or like these different variables, like I get it, 
I get it, but everyone's body's different, and not everyone's going to go back to being like their post individual training, basic training body. And as our bodies change, we need to think about those things from a, a biological, physiological standpoint. And the jobs, I think we need to think about that too, because sometimes healthiness is perceived purely at a physical level. Like if, if you can move box A to box B to wherever they need to be, awesome. I do appreciate and understand the rigorous of the standard. And I think that has to really kept in its hold in place in um, with certain occupations. So that's my thought on that. The article you don't specifically have to agree with me. It's said, fine. The article said specifically obese. It wasn't about different shapes and and all that it said obese and it's the military you can't be in the military and be obese yeah no i'm not disagreeing with that i'm just throwing in these other outliners because these conversations are all happening within the same vein of of what this conversation has come to I don't I'm gonna be the old. I'm gonna be the old school jerk. I don't care what shape you are. I don't care if you're a rhombus, an oval, a circle. I would entirely base your pay on how well you do on the PT test, and screw it. If you're a 60 percent on the PT test, you get 60 percent of your pay. We don't have time for fatties, and I am a fatty, and I don't care. But when I was in the military, I was a 300 PT score, and if you're in, you should do what's required of you. But yeah, I'm a jerk. All right, so we'll go rapid fire three real quick here. Seriously, Vet- rapid fire. Rap uh, veterans oh, in the 117th Congress. I'm just going to read some numbers. 91 total veterans in the 117th Congress, which is the lowest, the lowest since World War II. 17 in the Senate, 74 in the House, 28 Democrats, 63 Republicans, 13 served in the mil- in the military before 1960, 50, 50 served in the military after 2000. Jeff, how are we doing on veterans in Congress, uh, well, like like everything else, it's difficult. Uh, I don't. I'm not surprised that the numbers are down. It's difficult to convince quality individuals to take on uh, that horrific job and the scrutiny that goes along with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I I'm not shocked at all that it's going down. Ashley, I concur. It's it's been trending, and based on some of the research I've looked at, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard sell point, especially with the current atmosphere. So I'm not surprised. And the dollars required, it's tough. It's a tough thing to get into, especially from an active duty or reserve or guard component trying to get into when you've moved around your whole life. There's a lot of obstacles, but I'm really excited to still see that we do have veterans showing up for the second service. So, All right. And uh, as Super Producer Holly reminds us, we'll be talking to Lawrence Montreux uh, about this next week, I believe it is. And he is our legislative director. Great guy. We have a good discussion with him. Uh, going to shout outs. Mine's going to real quick to uh, Marine John James of Okinawa, who uh, was at a party and he sprang into action when he heard someone yell, Habu, Habu. It turns out that this, uh, this lady, Tokito Ohaso, had been bitten by a deadly viper in Okinawa. And he jumped into action, put a tourniquet on the lady's. Uh, leg just above the snake bite and she credited him with saving her life uh the worst thing about this is i happen to do some research because i hate snakes and apparently they take these ahu habu spider uh, snake viper things and they put them into wine and the wine bottle comes with the viper in it that's the most disgusting thing i've ever heard but congratulations to john james and good job marine thank you jeff you got a shout out today 
I have a sh- I have a partial shout out. I I'm forgetting the post number, but in forty three. No. <laughs> Nice one. Okay, uh, there's, there's a post in South Dakota that I, I read about that has this amazing chorus. Um, and, and and apparently and from them, I've learned that uh, the American Legion used to have a choral competition at National uh, that we that we no longer do. But it was it's it's kind of. And I and hopefully we can I'll find it and we can put it in the show notes to give them proper props. But they they're they're doing it, man. They're singing it and they're they're getting the word of the Legion out there that way. And I applaud them without ever hearing a note. That's how and so they are my shout out. Ashley, you got a shout out? Ooh. Um hmm. Oh no. Hmm. I'm just going to do a general shout out to everyone who is and has exercised voting in the past several months. Congratulations. Thank you for doing your civic duty. You guys rock. Go USA. Super producer Holly lets us know that it is Sioux Falls post 15 that Jeff was referencing, not the voting people. Uh, I, sing it loud and proud, Sioux Falls post 15. Sing, sing, sing. Yeah. All right, everybody, don't forget to subscribe to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. While you're there, don't forget to rate us, five stars only, folks, and leave us a review. You can also send us feedback, and Super Producer Holly writes and love notes at TangoAlphaLima at Legion.org. <laughs> don't send me love notes. I, I, I Don't send them to me. I, I recognize that I'm a sex symbol and you want me. I'm taking, folks. I'm taking all right, they I'll both be- are. I'm the only single one here. <laughs> write them all to Jeff. The Michigan man yeah, is waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.